If you could, for just a moment, I would like for you to rewind in your mind just to begin to think about what it was like when you were a kid. Uh, some of you are a little longer, you got to rewind than, uh, than others, uh, but uh, rewind just a little bit and begin to think about the season of Christmas. Um, think about what you were anticipating. Uh, think specifically, and I know all of us uh, grew up in different settings and, and, and Christmas looked different for, for all of us, but I just wonder what that even Christmas Eve anticipation felt like. Uh, thinking about Christmas morning, I grew up uh, being somewhat afraid of Santa and so often would sleep on the floor of my sister's room. Uh, I don't know if you ever felt like you heard things on the roof and, you know, people moving around and... But there was this great anticipation of what the next morning would hold. I can remember where my sister's room uh, was and I would lay and I could see underneath the door and I could see the twinkle of the lights. And, and I can just remember the excitement that I had. And now as a, as a dad, uh, don't, don't tell my, my kids, um, but uh, I, I feel like I'm as excited even now as I was when I was a child. And Christmas morning, I like to drag my feet just a little bit and make them wait as they're excited to, uh, to move forward. But there's this excitement for other things. The excitement, we, we gather around the table, we make cinnamon rolls every Christmas morning, and we read the Christmas story, and we just spend some, some time just really doing nothing before the chaos kind of of the day happens, right? I, I look forward to those moments. There's great anticipation I, I anticipate the last present that we have our kids open. I don't know, as a, as a parent, if you experience that. Uh, we, we, we do a certain number of gifts, and we have a reason for each one. And the last one is the one gift that they wanted, um, that they've asked for. And so that's always that one gift that I know that they're going to love. And there's this great anticipation of, of how they'll respond or what they'll think when they open it. Uh, Christmas really Advent is really the season of anticipation. And Kristen, I'm thankful for her. She did a great job preaching last week and, and talking about this anticipation that we have, but we often get distracted by other things. It's easy to be distracted by other things. There's been this great anticipation for me this week and Melissa Fitzgerald who helps direct our uh, affordable Christmas store, and so many of you who gave your time and, and energy, and even my wife with her broken leg just rode in the little electric scooter around Target as we, as we shopped and filled baskets for our affordable store that took place yesterday, and a huge thank you to you, huge thank you. It was another great year. We've now passed a thousand kids who have been shopped for over the last several years, and, but man, just this week has been this anticipation for Saturday morning, and and as we shopped, people would say things like, oh, your kids are going to have a great Christmas morning. And I'm thinking, we need to probably talk if you think I'm buying this for all of my, my children. Uh, I, happiness is not what they would probably experience. They, there would be other things that would be going on for them. And, and so, but, but there was this anticipation of families that would show up and, and eat breakfast and, and shop and, and the conversations that would happen and the hugs that would be given. There was this anticipation and in the midst of everything that happens in this season, it is very easy to get distracted. Very easy. And I think that is the importance of the season of Advent. To be able to just slow down, to find those moments, to be able to pause. 
And in the midst of the anticipation in this holiday season, as it feels like the, the music is always full of joy and celebration, if we're honest, we know that this season is not always easy. I actually think it's one of the most difficult seasons in our lives often. Right? We think of the changes that maybe happened over the last nine months, the last year since the, the previous Christmas. Maybe job situations have looked different. Life is difficult. Maybe your marriage is, is struggling. You've had difficulties with your children. There's brokenness, and, and, and we've experienced this year, and many of you have as well, just loss and grief. And so as we anticipate, and everyone seems to have it together and is excited, for a lot of us, the anticipation really becomes overwhelming because of we, we know what is behind some of that, right? We, we internalize and know that this is a difficult season. And so maybe in this season, the idea of hope that we talked about last week is hard. And as Vicky spoke and, and read, the idea of peace right now seems hard. I mean, maybe you wonder, how in the world can I, can I experience peace right now? Like, I'm not at peace with other people. I'm not at peace with God. I'm not at peace with myself. I'm not at peace because of circumstances and situations. And so maybe you're, you're struggling even with that idea. But Advent... The celebration of what God has done is really a great time to remember that God showed up. That God showed up. And he continues to show up. That's the reason we can have hope. And that's the reason today we'll see that we can have peace. Well, our scripture reading for today is found in Matthew 3. If you don't own a Bible, there should be a, a Bible around you somewhere. Kristen had you stand last week. I'm going to have you stand this week uh, for the reading of God's word. Uh, maybe you wonder why we do this, uh, but, but it really is just a sign of respect if you're able to stand. Uh, a sign of respect. And I heard someone say one time as a pastor, um, it helps you see as I stand and read this and you stand that, that this scripture is not simply for you that I'm reading. I'm not reading it to you. I'm reading it to us. That we are in this together, that God is not only speaking to you, but has been and is speaking to me as well. And so John 3 says this, or Matthew 3, I apologize, Matthew 3. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of, of the Jordan, confessing their sins, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers. Who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. 
He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So I'm going to break this up into two chunks. Uh, There's kind of two parts to this reading, uh, verse 1 through 6, and then we'll look at 7 through 12. I first want to highlight, and and maybe you caught this, and and want to look at the importance of where John is preaching. See, he has not shown up at the temples. He's not shown up in the streets of Jerusalem, but he's actually preaching in the desert. He's on the edge of the Jordan River in a barren land, making an announcement. He's actually spent time in the wilderness alone. And he's standing there and he is calling out for everyone to hear, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Uh, You could almost just stop here and say that this statement alone encompasses everything about Advent. He's making this announcement that God's kingdom is coming close. You, You need hope? The kingdom of heaven is near. You longing for peace? The kingdom of heaven is near. You need joy and experience love? The kingdom of heaven is near. And he's calling this out not from a place of promised land or abundance or green grass. He's saying this in the desert. He's saying it in the wilderness. See, the wilderness plays an important role in the narrative of God. Uh, maybe the, the scriptures are new to you, but in the Old Testament, we have lots of moments where the wilderness is the highlight or the main part of a story. We have a guy named Moses who is being called by God, and that is happening in the wilderness. We have the, the people of God who are rescued from Pharaoh and then spend 40 years wandering in the desert. After this story, as as Jesus begins his ministry, he is in the desert for 40 days, tempted and being tried and fasting. See, the interesting thing to me about the stories that we read that that contain the, the wilderness or the desert is that God's provision is always evident. God is always providing in the midst of the harshest of places and the most difficult moments. See, it's not always in just the good things or the moments of abundance that we see God working. But it's every step of the way. And can I just point out to you that I don't go looking for those harshest places or difficult moments. I'm not asking for the wilderness moments. I'm not asking for the the moments where everything is difficult. I'm not asking God for those things. Usually we try to avoid those places. Uh, Death Valley, I don't know if you've ever been to Death Valley or seen Death Valley. Uh, Here's a picture of Death Valley. It doesn't look like Death Valley, what I would picture it it looking. Um, Temperatures can reach 135 degrees in Death Valley. It is beautiful to look at. It might even be great to walk through for a short amount of time. But you don't want to get stuck here. You don't want to stay in the desert. You don't want to stay in the wilderness. 
We're not asking God to do that, but, but if we're honest, many of us find ourselves in those places. So some of you are there now. Moments of difficulty and loss, you're asking questions, you're wondering where God is. But however, we'll see in this message of John that it's actually in those places where God is showing up. That it's in those places where the good news of Jesus is really, really good news. That the hope of Jesus and the peace of Jesus show up. This has been a rough year for for my family. It's been a rough year in loss and and hurt. It's been a a rough couple of months just with with injury. It's been a difficult month in extended family. This has been been difficult. And, And I don't think our story right now has been any more difficult than many of your stories. But just for me... I wouldn't have asked for this year. I wouldn't have asked for it. But it's where we find ourselves. And there's been many moments where we've seen God still showing up. He he hasn't walked away. He hasn't left us in the midst of difficult things that have happened in our lives. And really, if we look for it, it's often in the desert and in the wilderness where we can observe the movement of God. Now, it's important to understand a little bit about John as he's writing this. He's been in the wilderness. Uh, He's one of those guys that people would see and feel a little uncomfortable with. Uh, He he emerges, and let's just say uh, he was odd. Uh, He he would have most likely, um, as I said, made people feel uncomfortable. You you know those people. (laughs) You've seen them, and you're kind of uh, drawn to them, but you don't really understand them. Uh, This was John. He wore clothes made of camel hair. He has a leather belt. And then he eats locusts and honey. Uh, Locusts are just kind of large grasshoppers. This is is John. Uh, This is his life. And he wasn't going to to go around messing around. Uh, He wasn't giving a light message. Um, He's crying out from the desert uh, that people need to repent. That people need to begin to do something, and I'll explain what he meant by that in just a moment. Uh, hundreds of years before John speaks these words, someone named Isaiah says there's going to be someone who comes and prepares the way for the Messiah, the one who would set all things right for Jesus. There's going to be one that comes and does this, and this is what John's role is. John and Jesus are actually cousins. If you've read the Christmas story in Luke, that's how we know about John. Uh, John uh, comes around the same time of Jesus, and John is the one who is going to point to the ministry of Jesus. Uh, John is what would be called a prophet. Uh, We have prophets in the Old Testament who also seemed weird. Uh, People always didn't like being around prophets, uh, really because they spoke the truth. Uh, They often spoke the truth to power. And so prophets played an important role. Uh, They were about justice and judgment. They were usually attempting to call God's people back to God's ways. That the longing for the prophet were for the people of God to be in right relationship with God and in right relationship with one another. They were seeing things as God sees them. See, sometimes you and I, we, we get a little lost. Sometimes we stray. Sometimes we get distracted. 
sometimes life happens and things are messy. And the prophets in the Bible, and even I think some still today, are just nudging us back, are calling us back to God. And the prophets, as I said, weren't always liked. But John is coming and he's making this announcement. He's announcing that something new was happening. That someone was coming to be ready, to get prepared. That heaven was near. And so John fully embraced this life of the prophet. He spoke the truth and eventually would cost him. See, you may have these desires sometimes to call out the things that don't align with God. Maybe it's injustice. Maybe it's things you just, you just feel aren't right. And, and you feel like, man, if I speak up to that, how will people see me? How will people view me? And so oftentimes we don't. But in the scriptures, we, we saw the prophets speaking out. And here's what's interesting about John. Even though he was odd and maybe speaking a message that would, would cause some to, to question... Uh, people are showing up in the desert to hear John's message. We, we see in the, the story that people are coming from all over the Jordan region. They want to hear the message that John is preaching. They're coming to hear them, that the kingdom of heaven was near. See, the, the people of God who had heard that God was going to redeem and rescue are just waiting they had been waiting. They're always anticipating. And so now they catch wind that this guy is saying, look, uh, now's the time. Now is the time that the, the, the kingdom of heaven is pressing in. And they come to even hear this message of repentance. Now, if you grew up in church, maybe you've heard this word repent and it carries some baggage. Uh, maybe the word uh, repent was spoken at you in an angry way or in a forceful way. Maybe you felt afraid. Uh, maybe you grew up in a church who, who made you uh, do something, whether it was to get up and move forward and, and, and tell someone or some people uh, what you're repenting of. And so when I even talk about the word repent, you're going back to those days and you're, you're beginning to stir something up inside of you. And, and can, I just, can I just tell you uh, that, that John's message was actually a message of peace, N not a message that was necessarily supposed to make you afraid. Uh, it was a message to, to bring you hope, but also peace. See, the word repent is actually often used as a military term. And the term is just an about face. So if you've ever seen military uh, facing one way and they hear the call to about face, what do they do? They, they completely turn 180 degrees to face a different direction. Uh, it, it could be a different direction in body, but also a reversal in attitude or opinion or action. So think, John is saying, all of you who are listening to me, it's time for you to turn around. It is time for you to turn your heart to the message that is coming. That the kingdom of heaven is near. He is announcing to all the people to, that hear that they need to turn back to God. That they have strayed, they had gone a different way, and they're being encouraged to turn from their sin, to turn from those past, and to follow God. 
and he's getting results. People are coming, they're hearing this message, they're then being baptized in the Jordan River. That literally just means in the moment they're publicly confessing that they're turning to God, that they want to be emerged and submerged in the ways of God, that they were dying to their old life and turning to a new. See, this is what's really interesting, is that the language that's being used is really a Roman military term. Not only repent, but baptism as well. When someone would go into a Roman army, uh, they would be uh, baptismo, which literally just meant their old life is gone. That it, it doesn't belong to them anymore. It now belongs to the Roman rulers. That whatever their life once looked like, it looks completely different now because they belong to Rome. And so for these people, they hear this term to repent, to turn their life back to God, and their response is to get rid of their old life and realize that they have a new life. And so why is this happening? Uh, Why are people coming out to hear from John? I think one of the reasons is it's just when there's a movement of people, we begin to pay attention to that. We want to be involved with the masses. Uh, When I lived in in California, uh, a buddy and I uh, would drive down to L.A. uh, because we'd want to see any famous people we could possibly see. That the goal was to find the paparazzi and to find the crowds and see who they're following. And so literally, you would just drive the streets of L.A. uh, late at night and you would see these crowds. And we would just park and we'd walk and we'd be like, hey, who's everyone waiting for? And literally, no one would know. People would not know, but all all that happened is there's a crowd. And so the crowd builds, and then everyone's just like waiting for someone to come out. And so I think this is one of the things that's happening. People hear that people are going out to the desert to hear some guy speak about something, and and people are longing for something. And so like, I'll, I'll go listen. I'll go hear what this guy has to say. He spoke with authority. He was compelling. He's quoting the Old Testament which they would have known, and he's quoting the Old Testament about himself. But, but really, I think more than anything, they were just longing for the Messiah. They're just longing for the one who would make everything right. They're longing for the one who would bring hope to their lives. The one who would bring peace to the messed up places. And they were looking to be liberated to be set free some of them actually believe john might be the messiah right? they're just searching and seeking and, and here's what's interesting is that may have been two thousand plus years ago but i think the same is true for you i actually think that that's why many of us gather on sunday mornings I think some of you come into this place, you're like, I'm here every week. I don't always know why I'm here, but man, I'm just longing for something. I'm longing for God to speak to me. I'm longing to experience hope and peace and healing. I'm longing for something. And so as they did it 2,000 years ago, they hear this message. I think we still are in that same place. What are you longing for? What are you longing for this Advent season? It can't be more stuff. It can't be bigger or better things. As we open presents on Christmas, that's great, but I just know at the core of your being, 
there's something more that you're longing for. There's something you're longing for in the midst of what you are going through. We all want to be people of hope. We want to be people of peace. We, We want that to happen. And I think this is the role of Advent. This is what we are anticipating God doing in our lives. So John is saying, come back. You've strayed. You've went other directions. You've wondered if God is ever going to show up. Would you repent and turn back to God? And so I think for, for some of us, we need to do that. We need to repent. And I don't say that as a forceful, uh, you need to be afraid of what God may do to you if you don't. But, but it is more not what you have been doing, but what you ought to do. What you ought to do, because it will bring peace and hope and healing to your life. See, this is really an invitation for all of us to be transformed from the inside out. This isn't just about doing the right things. We can do the right things. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus to do the right things. But, but what we believe happens is God begins to do something in our hearts. He does something in our, our spirits. He does something in our lives. And he does that through repentance through turning our hearts back to God. It begins to help us in our desires to be in line with the ways of God. And so John is literally just inviting people into a new life and into a new way, into a new kingdom. Not that Roman rulers would oversee, but one that that God would rule and reign and he would use Jesus to make that happen. A kingdom that wouldn't have been about power, but about submission. One that wasn't about control, but about letting go. It wasn't one about producing something in their lives. It was about producing something in their lives that really mattered. And he is inviting you into that kind of life. And so then verse 7, there's this thing that happens. And Matthew says that the Pharisees and the Sadducees are showing up. So now we have the religious rulers... Those who were in control, those who liked to have power and authority, they catch wind of what John is saying. A new kingdom? No, no, there's only one kingdom. I mean, we, we believe in God, but, but we are the, the rulers and the ones who are in power. And so they show up. Uh, they wanted to see what was sweeping the masses. Uh, they wanted to see what was trending or going viral in that day. And there was probably some fear for them. Because they were powerful, they were worried that they would lose that. They didn't want to lose power or control. Their their status was found in those things. And so they show up. And it was interesting in just listening to commentaries. uh, They would have probably shown up pretending that they wanted to be baptized along with everyone else. And then as they show up, Uh, John sees them and calls them a brood of vipers. You may not know this, but that's not an endearing term. That is not a uh, welcome to the party, you brood of vipers. Uh, He's calling them a family of deadly snakes. Looking to hurt people, not to help them. John knows they're not there to repent and to change. They, They just didn't want to lose their position or power they were people of pride and so john calls them out for even being there and calls them a brood of of vipers and then we have verse 8 through 10 
I'm going to read that again, and I'm going to, I'm going to say something about 9, and then I'll jump back to, to 8. So, so bear with me, Harry. Uh, after he calls them a brood of vipers, he says in verse 8, Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. See, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they believed that they were in right standing with God simply because they were a part of Abraham's lineage. They had the right bloodline, right? Do you know who their grandpa was and their great-grandpa? Like they could pull out their family tree and trace it and say, no, we belong to Abraham. We're good. And so they were lost. They were lost. And so the call to repent what was not just for the average person who's coming out to listen, but it was, it was also for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And we see John say, don't you know? Don't you know that God can create children of Abraham? That it, that it really isn't about a bloodline, but it is about the work of Jesus? And they don't know that in the moment because this is before Jesus arrives on the scene. But, but John is pointing to what's going to happen and say, look, there's going to be a lot of people who end up in the, the family tree of Abraham because of what God is going to do. It doesn't matter that you simply belong to the lineage of Abraham. And so in verse 8, what precedes this, he says, you need to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In verse 10, he says, the axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, th- this part is a little more difficult. Um, th- this part, uh, John is saying that there is this invitation that may not feel like a good invitation to be judged by God. I, I, don't, I don't know if you watched American Idol uh, years ago when Simon Cowell was on there. Uh, but, but if you did watch that, someone would stand up, uh, they're being judged by, by people, and often just beat up for their inability to be able to sing. And I remember watching that, and I think that's why that show took off. It was like, yeah, they're a good singer, but I want to see that guy and how they're going they're gonna, to how, how deal with them, right? I didn't really feel that way, but that, you know, maybe a little. But they, uh, they, they were being judged, right? And that's not always an invitation that we like. And what John is saying is, when we begin to repent and we turn our hearts and our minds back to God, that is going to produce something in us. Something is going to come from that. If you're not repenting, if you're not turning back to God, the fruit you produce will be obvious. It will be obvious that you're not turning to the ways of God. See, your life will produce something. All of us are producing fruit in our lives. And so in verse 10, he says, look, the axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. There's no time for that. There's no point in that. John is giving this invitation to say, turn back to God, and your life is going to produce something. To fully repent means allowing God to judge our hearts and our minds and our spirits and our motives. And believing, believing it's not about God beating us up. But when we begin to align ourselves, when we begin to repent and turn back to God, 
there is a good fruit that will be produced. A good fruit in our relationships, a good fruit in how we see money, a good fruit in the decisions that you make, a good fruit in aligning not with power, but with the least of these, a fruit that gathers around the name of Jesus without ignoring the ways of Jesus, right? There's this fruit that begins to produce. If we are constantly living our lives saying, God, I want to turn to you. What do you want from me? What do you need from me, God? I'm turning to you. He says the axe is ready to get rid of the root that is not leading to good fruit. And so just quickly, what would that be for you? What, what is it in your life that often stirs up in you and you know it's not producing something good? And you may even come into a setting like this and you can feel God just like leading you down that way. And God is saying, would you just turn back to me? Would you maybe turn to me for the first time? Let me help you. Let me give you strength. Let me offer grace and forgiveness. And in doing that, there will be a good fruit that is produced. And then finally in verse 11, uh, John got his name because he's baptizing people in the Jordan River. River. He's helping people publicly confess and declare uh, their allegiance to God. And, and, And everyone wanted to follow John. And then John basically says, look, I just want to remind you, this is not about me. John says, it's great what's happening, but there is one who is coming that I cannot even touch his sandals. I am pointing to him. I am preparing the way for him. John knows his role. John doesn't have a Messiah complex thinking he is the one that people should follow, but he is living his life pointing to Jesus. And there is an invitation for you and I to do that as well. That we understand our role, specifically as followers of Jesus, is not to draw attention to ourselves, but to point to what God is doing. So here's the hard work for you and me, specifically as followers of Jesus. I'm asking you, specifically in this season of Advent, to invite God to do something in your life. As you move towards Christmas... Would you just invite God to to help you repent, to help you turn back to him? I'm inviting us to allow the cleansing, helpful judgment of God to happen in our lives so that he can produce a good fruit in us that will last. See, Advent is about paying a special attention to what God is up to in our own lives and in our world. He's working in you. He's working through you. And by submitting your lives to the judgment of God, it's not something that we have to be afraid of. But it's something that we believe will bring liberation. It will bring freedom. It will bring peace. It's the work of God sanctifying us, of making us more like Jesus. It's the constant work of repentance, the constant work of asking God, would you help me to come back to you? Would you point out anything that is not in line with you and make it right? Would you bring me back into a right right relationship with you, God, and with one another? And then it's an invitation for many of you who have never done that. 
to ask God to give you a new set of eyes to see things differently, to change your heart to the things of God and to find freedom. This is a good gift. This is a good gift that God is giving us. It is the gift of peace that comes when we invite God to begin to speak to us and change our hearts and our minds. Would you stand with me as I pray? Father, I ask that you would begin with me, that you would help me to live a life where I'm aware of what you're saying to me, that maybe there's areas of repentance for myself that I need to turn back to you. And for my friends who are here today, that there are areas for themselves as well, that they've just strayed. And I'm so thankful that the invitation comes from you, a loving God who brings freedom to our lives, who when we turn back to you, you are waiting to welcome us back. This could be our lives for the first time, or these could be moments. These could be decisions that we make. So God, I pray that you would help us. Lord, we're longing for something. And Lord, I know there's many things that will fill that void temporarily. But Lord, I pray in this Advent season, we would know that that is you. I pray that our hearts would be turned back to you and that you would produce a good fruit in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name.